Hear these words of scripture from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, Woman, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her, and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, There are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath day. The Lord replied, Hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, all his opponents were put to shame, but all those in the crowd rejoiced at the extraordinary things he was doing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the amazing privileges of being in ministry is, is baptizing people. It's really, it's really fantastic to be in that position, to baptize babies, grown-ups, anybody um, who's, who's willing to accept Jesus and take a step into, into new life. Um, I, get, I get really excited and energized by it. I get excited by, by people joining the church. And before anybody joins the church, um, whether they've been baptized or not before, I like to have a conversation beforehand. We call it a new member lunch or the name doesn't really matter, but I'd like to have a, at least a conversation to make sure people understand what they're getting into. Because part of it is to define what membership means. Because membership is a word that we see a lot around the world. I'm a member of this, a member of that. But the church uses the word member in a very different way, an older way. It's like members of a body. Like there's there's, I, have a, I have hands and I have fingers, I have elbows, I have legs. Those are the, my, the members of my body, not a member of a club. Because most of the time when we talk about members in the world, we think of members of a club, of a, of a country club, of a, of a golf club or a tennis club or, or a winery that you have certain privileges that go with it. You can you get your tea time, you get a tea time at a good time, or you get a free um, early entry to a new set of wines or things like that. You can go to these member-only events. There are some responsibilities involved. You have to pay your dues or things like that, but there are privileges involved with it. With the church, when you become a member, according to the world, you mostly get responsibilities. Um, <laughs> there's no like discount card you get as a member of the church. In fact, during some of the membership conversations, one of the things I say is that now your visitor card has been revoked. You have to start welcoming people. Um, you're not the one who everybody is going to anymore. You need to be the one to welcome. One, of the, one time somebody asked me, what are the perks of membership in the church? And I was so surprised by the question. I don't even think I responded. I was, I'd never um, thought about that. But uh, because from a worldly perspective, there aren't really many perks. I mean, to, to join a church means, okay, like you're giving up your Sunday mornings um, and some of your evenings. You need to read this really old book a lot. You need to take some time in prayer. Um, 
whatever that means according to the world. Uh, you need to give your time to others. You need to serve some more. You, know, you need to give some of your money. Like All of these don't seem like perks according to the world. We ask these things. They look like burdens. They look mostly like responsibility. But according to God, <laughs> worship is a perk. Giving your time is a perk. Generosity is a perk. It really is. It is a joy. It is a joy to be able to give freely. Giving to the church is not a membership fee, but a response to what God has done. But it is hard to see that unless you've gone through a journey of faith. Talking about privileges, though, can be a, a kind of a tricky thing nowadays. Nowadays, it's a very a political and charged topic with lots of opinions about privileges, who has privileges, and things like that. However, when we read the Gospels, it's so important to realize that Jesus doesn't avoid politically charged topics. To be in the world for Jesus is not to avoid controversy, but to live a life of love. My friends, we are starting this new series uh, called In the World, as you see from the words up there. In the world, there's a globe that's where we are. We're in the world, but not of the world. How does that happen? How can a Christian be in the world, but not be of the world? What does that look like? And it is a very focused topic. This is a topic central to the life of Jesus, central to the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Today, we're talking about privilege through the lens of Luke 13 that Deb read a few minutes ago. In this passage, Jesus breaks the Sabbath according to the understanding of the day. The Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments. It's, it is one of the most important, one of the cl most clearly defined laws that God gives. And Jesus does not follow it to the letter, and some people get huffy about it. Jesus doesn't follow prior teachings on the Sabbath. Jesus helps us to see and understand the true meaning of Sabbath and helps us to see the privileges that people saw in the midst of it. And I want us to focus on this. And so I want you to let go of any other ideas you have of privileges, whether it's, it's from politics or the media or country clubs or things like that, and just hone in on what God is doing here in Luke 13. We start with what Jesus actually does. Jesus heals a woman who's been sick for 18 years, which is a long time to be sick. I know many people in this church who just took their kids to college for the first time. So that's basically being sick the entire time their child lifted at home. <laughs> it, is, it is a long time to be sick, and Jesus heals her. This is work, and it should be done. According to the definitions of the Sabbath, to heal a person is work. In another passage, Jesus quotes uh, Jesus breaks the Sabbath and quotes scripture about how David's soldiers, when they were on a Sabbath, they took grain from a field they were passing through. But the, Jesus doesn't use that example here. Here he uses this metaphor of how if you have an animal who is sick on the Sabbath, you're going to take them to water to heal them. Now, he is not comparing this woman who is sick to an animal. He is comparing the action of healing her to the action of untying an animal and freeing it to water, of freeing someone. When someone is trapped, you're not going to leave them. When someone you care about, when a part of your life is hurting, you're not going to leave them in that state, but free them when you're able to. But the explicit reason why the experts say that Jesus 
shouldn't do this and why they're offended because Jesus did this is because he's not following Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath. He works on the Sabbath. The true reason, though, the implicit reason why they're offended is because Jesus' actions put their life of faith into question. They thought they were in the privileged position of being able to pick and choose whom they could love and whom they should love. The Sabbath, though, is not an excuse to get out of loving people. Faith is not an excuse to get out of loving people. That's what they were using it for. They were saying, oh, it's the Sabbath, so this person is hurting. I can't help her. I am following a more important thing right now. The privilege of faith is not, you get to imagine you are a good person, and so no matter what you do, it is good. That's something else going on. Christianity, however, it's presented in this world is not an excuse to get out of loving people. Whenever, when we use it as an excuse, we are in fact denying we have any faith at all. One of the clearest ways to see this is by looking at our lives compared to lives of others in the world. For instance, the different measures of, of global poverty, of malnutrition, of child poverty around the world, the challenges people face around the world. When we compare our own lives and our own existence, the juxtaposition can be overwhelming. And, and challenging. As well, it can give us an understanding of the blessings and benefits of our own position here and now. The way that there are Christians around the world who are persecuted for their faith, they don't have a chance to use Christianity as an excuse to get out of loving people because the very name of Jesus put their, puts their lives in danger. Now, there's a way that, um, I'm going to come back to this, but there's a way that the corporations and businesses use um, environmentalism without actually changing any of their policies, and it's called greenwashing. And so you say, like, we're going you know, to burn this, this coal plant for a thousand years, but we'll plant three trees, so we're a green company. Um, and so it's not, really, it's not really doing anything, but they're, like, they're trying to sell themselves in this way. It's a different level of marketing. Now, I think there's a way sometimes that Christians can act in public that I call crosswashing. <laughs> that, that you act in a certain way to kind of get public recognition, but it's basically you're not really changing your heart or changing your life or anything else going on. You're crosswashing yourself. You're just putting on this persona of Christ, but not really doing anything about it. It's so I'm going to put the cross on things. I'm going to wear Christian things. I'm going to listen to Christian radio. Um, I'm going to go through the motions, and this gets me out of actually having to confront my own heart in what I desire or don't desire. This gets me out of having to confront my own sin. This gets me out of actually having to love my neighbor. If I do the thing society expects Christians to do, then I'm good. I get the benefits of faith. I get the privileges of faith, but I don't actually have to love the people who annoy me in my life. I don't have to walk an extra mile in another person's shoes. I can go ahead and already start judging them. In the time of Jesus, there were folks following the law that I would call Sabbath washing. They use the Sabbath to get out of actually loving people in their life. I may not be faithful, but I keep this Sabbath, this thing I do, you don't. And you can heal all the people you want. You can be a prophet of God. You can do all these good things, but, but you are not keeping Sabbath, so I am better than you. I am superior cross washing or Sabbath washing can lead to a posture of arrogance or entitlement in the church. Why aren't people coming? What's the big deal? Why aren't my kids coming to church? Why aren't my neighbors? Why aren't, why are, what's going on? What's their problem? What's their problem? 
Jesus never really had a posture of entitlement. It's one of those things throughout the scriptures. He didn't assume that things were going to work out for him. In fact, they, they really did it. It's like that's the, the amazing miracle of Easter is things didn't work out for Jesus. And yet God used that and transformed it through resurrection. Jesus went and sought people where they were. He said, I did not come to save the righteous, but the unrighteous, but the loss of the tribe of Israel. His ministry was not to people who had it all figured out already, but to the, pe- but to the people who were desperate enough to turn their lives around once they met Jesus. To the people who were willing to turn their lives around once they met Jesus. And if we are not desperate for Jesus, if we're not desperate for the Lord, there's going to be a barrier built up between ourselves and God between ourselves and and our neighbors. Jesus does not come to preach and preach a posture of entitlement or privilege, but humility and self-sacrifice. And God is calling us to take a step of faith to love at a time when it is inconvenient, when it is not easy. Our encouragement this day as well should be that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are in your life, you are loved by God. So often we may think about when, we, when Jesus gives us these like ethical demands and things like that and encouragements, it's like, oh, these are all the things that we should do. But oftentimes we need to realize that we're on the receiving end of this, that God is, is showing us that we are worthy of love, that we are deserving in love, that even if we feel like in the greatest of outgroups, that God is pulling us in. Whether you are a student in a cool kids group or the weirdos or the band geeks, you are worthy of love. God sees you and includes you. We can't rest on acceptance forever, but sometimes we're in those moments in life that we need to rest on that. We need to take a day, we need to take a month, a season to realize that we are accepted and loved. Whenever whenever Job's friends came to him after all the tragedies that happened in the beginning of the book of Job, now, once they opened their mouths, they were were idiots. Um, but, But when they first met him, they just sat next to their friend in silence for a week. Their friend had lost everything in his life. And instead of going in and just starting with the telling him what to do, they just sat with him. And I think that's the most powerful moment in the book. Once they open their mouths, they just stick their foot in their mouth over and over again. Um, but, but that moment of, of, of resting in love, resting in acceptance, and many of us at different seasons in our lives need to stay in those moments, need to not rush off. But then we can't, we can't stay there forever. God loves us and meets us where we are, but God doesn't want us to stay in that same place. And my brothers and sisters, I think our call for us this day is to love in inconvenient ways and in inconvenient times because the love of Christ, the true love of God is a challenge in this world and has already loved us inconveniently. If we're not already challenged by the way we love people, we're not stretching ourselves and pushing ourselves. We're building a bubble. We're cross-washing ourselves in order to keep the lie that we have it all figured out. And in so doing, to keep ourselves from grace, to keep ourselves from Christ's incredible mercy. We are using God's law to get out of following God's command to love people. This is what the Pharisees did with Sabbath, and Jesus cut right through that. And so this day, my brothers and sisters, may you go into the world like Jesus, may you go into the world willing to love in an inconvenient time, willing to be called out for it. Dorothy Day said, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I read this this week, and this, this quote has been just like hitting me over and over again. 
It would be easier if I could love God without loving my neighbors. That'd be a lot easier, but that would be a different religion altogether. And God doesn't call us to love our neighbors on our own terms. That would also be a lot easier if I could just love people on my own terms and and fit it into my schedule. That's not what the good news of Jesus Christ is about. We are to love on their terms. If we only love on our terms and we think that that is enough, we are not following Jesus. And not just our neighbors, God calls us to love the least lovable neighbors. Are we willing to let go of this worldly privilege and entitlement and assumption about who you should love? The greatest privilege, though, is found in receiving grace and living the life God created you to be, the life of love. That's the great inversion of the good news of Jesus Christ. That what first seems like a challenge to the world is actually the locus of greatest freedom. To repeat those words of Dorothy Day, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Are you willing to let God speak to you in a new way and to let God call you to do something brave? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for meeting us where we are, finding us in the world and sending us back into the world. Oh Lord, let your spirit come into this place. Remember us, fill us, forgive us, empower us, and send us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.